0: Come on, if you love him, if you know he loves you, clap your hands to him. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It sounds very simple, but it's such a powerful revelation. When you realize that God really does love you. Because a lot of people cannot fathom that that great, holy God could love them because of what they've done. But scripture proves it over and over and over again. And even beyond that, the lives we've seen changed proves it over and over again that God. Really does love us. Give him one more hand clap and a shout of praise. What a great God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. You could be seated for just a moment. I'm thankful tonight again to see you all. I'm thankful and blessed because I get to still have my mother in church with me. I'm thankful for you, Mom. I'm glad. It's a weird dynamic when you start pastoring your mother. You you wanna you still wanna eat good, but you still have to be pastor. So I'm thankful she's here. I'm glad to see all of you. Good, 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 good to see you. Oh, brother Scott, remember that conversation a little over fifteen years ago. Why don't you just think about coming up here and starting a church? Well we did The Lord opened the door and here we are Thankful for it And I'm thankful for so many Great and wonderful people in our lives Now friends that we have Serving the Lord with us And people that we met along the way I can't remember exactly when we first met Brother Green But man I sure am glad we did You might remember and if you do you can tell it was when I was ordained, so, so yeah, that's been a little while, I can't even remember that, <laughs> hey, some man said my forgetter is working real good, so I'm doing good, but because of, uh, through the friendship and the ministry of Brother and Sister Green, we've met a lot of great people, Sister Lindsay's here tonight, and uh, yeah, we, we met her on, on our South Africa trip. And just became like family. Brother Nathaniel met him, and he came, and man, now he's got a family. <laughs> and uh, we're so thank- What a beautiful family, too. We're so thankful for sister Mabel, and sister Andrea, and our Prince Charles. We love, we love little brother Charles. Thankful, so thankful that God put us all together like He did. Many of you were just kids when we started. And we watched you have one, two, three kids. <laughs> I used to tell Sister Brandy she was going to have twins, but she would never. She'd get on to me for praying that on her. But, but, but I've watched a lot of you grow up, get married, and uh, have children, start your own families, and I'm proud of you, each and every one of you. Glad that we know you, Brother Green. If you'll come on to the pulpit. Let's give this family a hand. We love brother, and sister Green. Great friends of ours. We're going to hear from Sister. We'll be hearing from Sister Lois at eleven o'clock on Sunday morning, and so and also the following week on Mother's Day. So we're we're going to be blessed with them this this coming up week. So, brother Green, I love you.
1: Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I think we were looking back at our records. This is the fifth year that we have celebrated your anniversary services with you. And I'm just blown away by that, that that you'd even want us to still come back. You've not even heard Lois preach yet. I understand after Sunday you'll want us to come back. but, But do we love so much, Ed and Candy, your pastors and our friends and And uh, want to honor them as much as we can and also want to do that by moving into the presence of God, which He has aptly said we need to do. And I want to give high honor to all the friends that are in the place today and pastors and, and ministers and those that are so close to us. We love and appreciate you very much. I'd ask you to stand as we look to the Word of God and bring our attention to Matthew chapter 23. Begin reading at verse 5. I will let you know that Lois has brought a lot of her ministry with her and set it up in the foyer. And there's been some brand new things, just amazing, how many brand new things of high quality, books and devotions and journals and uh, prayer keepers and things that she has put together just in the last few months. And I know that you'll want to visit that and her after service. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5 Now in the preceding verses Jesus is basically saying that we shouldn't be like the scribes and Pharisees that they're all about their pride and their reputation and whatnot. Verse 5 all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your Master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. I think we're all in good agreement with what's happening here so far. But in verse 9, Jesus says, And call no man your Father upon the earth. For one is your Father, which is in heaven. I'm preaching today what has been an absolute revelation to me and my wife, and it has changed us. And I feel a strong anointing that there's revelation in the place today for people that really want change and a difference and a shift. And you'll never, leave, you'll never be the same when you leave this place if you'll receive the revelation today. Preaching from this title, Daddy Issues, Daddy Issues. God bless you, you may be seated. Daddy Issues is an informal phrase for the psychological challenge resulting from an absent or an abnormal relationship with one's father. Psychiatrists, psychologists, those that study human behavior, counselors, tell us that this is a very real thing daddy issues. And a very large percentage of the counseling and the direction and the diagnosis that goes on from these specialists deals with these daddy issues. I put together a short list today and maybe my list would be a little like yours of what a father should provide in relationship with his children. Number one on my list is that Love unconditionally. That doesn't mean that our children are always making the decisions we want them to make or always even doing the right things, but a father should always let his child know, regardless of how wrong or how bad or how rotten you've been, you are still loved without condition, unconditional love. A father should provide food, housing, shelter of some sort for his children. A father should provide proper teaching and proper discipline. A father should protect the well-being, that's physical, emotionally, and absolutely protect the spiritual well-being of his children. A father should teach good work ethics. And we realize over the last couple of years that that's been missing among us. father should spend quality time with his children. father should give wise counsel. And on and on and on the list could go. When fathers fail to do these things in relationship, deficiencies show up in the life of the child that often stay with that child for the entirety of their life. We are so desperately need of a father figure to bring these things in our life that even society gives us substitutes. And perhaps you would find a big brother that would be a father type figure in a program or whatever the program might be to try to find some individual that would step in the place, perhaps a relative or an uncle. Oftentimes, pastors and spiritual leaders become father figures in individual's life. God forbid that a young lady would want to marry her father. I'm not talking about literally, but I'm talking about a missing place in their life so strong that they needed the unconditional love, the protection, the provision, that when they started looking for a lifetime lover and spouse, they they instead found someone that was more like a father, doomed for trouble and for problems, if that's the case. When this is the situation, emotional battles set in. And daddy issues can be linked back to, to depressions, to angers, to fears that we deal with, even perversions, suicide, often linked back to daddy issues. And if you are one that enjoys perhaps trying to understand the dregs of our society, documentaries about serial killers or mass rapist, almost without fail, you'll trace their upbringing back and find that there was severe daddy issues in their life. Many characters in the Word of God demonstrate this physiological or psychological challenge. And as you begin to study the Word of God, at least to me it becomes obvious, these are individuals that had daddy issues. And I would submit for your reasoning that the very first son born to mankind had daddy issues. Cain. (laughs) Cain is dealing with a rebellion, and he is dealing with major anger, even to the degree that because he doesn't feel accepted in his actions, he kills his brother. This is typical daddy issues. Now, if anybody gets a bye or some kind of break. I'm thinking perhaps Adam, (laughs) who was never a child and never grew up. He was created full grown and never had a physical father example in his life. So if there's anybody that has an excuse, then maybe we'd give an excuse to Adam. But all through the scripture you'll find this. How about these girls? Lot's daughters. Obviously, they example Individuals had gone into perversion and even perversion with daddy because they had these major issues in their life. Jezebel, who is one of rebellion and taking what is not rightfully hers in positions and authority. In the New Testament, I could argue that Mary Magdalene, her of seven infirmities and seven possessions that Jesus healed her of, what got her to that place very well could have been daddy issues. I think the character that examples this most for me is Jacob. Jacob whom his brother is doted on, and Jacob seems to be an afterthought. In fact, the only time that Jacob gets the love of his father, the acceptance of his father, hands a blessing of his father, is when his father is old and blind, and he dresses up and acts like his brother Esau. And when he fakes his dad out like he's his brother, that's when he receives the love that he craves and the respect that he needs and the blessings that come from a father. Jacob lives this life out completely, and you see the perversions of his life, even to the degree that he was crazy enough to marry sisters. I'm telling you, somebody that does that has lost their mind. But not only did he have children from two sisters, he also took their handmaidens and he has four women in his house that becomes his household. In fact, it is so needed that Jacob, which means heel grabber or supplanter, finally makes his way across the brook and there he wrestles all night long with the theophany of God. And the angel touches his hip and not only his physical body, but changes his name. He needed to know that what you've been called all your life and what you've dealt with all your life is not who you are anymore. Because one moment, one night, One expression of experience with a God can change you until you're a prince that has power with God. As I look in the Scripture, this is not difficult for me to see those that I could say perhaps are more likely have daddy issues, and that's because I've dealt with daddy issues. This is absolutely my life. My dad, the man that would be my dad, and the man, or the woman, not the man, the woman, that would be my mother, both got in the church, not knowing each other, in one revival in San Bernardino, California. So they are both new to the church, and their life is totally changed. And they decided that they would begin to date. And side the council, and regardless of the council of pastor, they quickly went through courtship and got married. They're brand new converts. Their life has completely changed. And now they begin to get married quickly. Nine months to the date of the wedding night, my older sister was born. And now they've got a family. Slightly over two years from that, I was born. And now my mom and dad, who are still new converts, brand new in the church, now have a young family. We traveled a lot in those days. And I can remember mom telling me the story that dad wanted to leave San Bernardino and drive to Miami where his brother was to testify to him. And so they left, she did not know, but they left with $100 in their pocket to get from San Bernardino, California to Miami. And by the way, that's where I was born in Miami during that time. And then traveling back just a year later to be in California with other family. Dad was a night owl, and one night working his business in a thunderous rainstorm just south of Stockton. His foot never left the accelerator as he careened off the road. We're assuming he was dead asleep. His car hit a small tree, and it broke the seatbelt around him. His chest burst against the steering wheel, and Dad instantly gone into his eternity. Leaving Mom, who by the way was not grieving well because... Her dad had just committed suicide, whether intentional or unintentional, with alcohol and drugs that he took. And now she's lost her dad, who that was her hero. And now her new husband, leaving not only the two children, me and my sister, but what dad never knew when he left this world was that she was also pregnant with what would be the third child of that family. Mom did not grieve well. In fact, all of our life, she did not understand how to grieve. She did not drive and never did really drive a vehicle. So we would take the city bus and the stories my grandma would tell me really are heartbreaking. As she would say, Tim, you as a toddler would sneak out from behind your mama's skirts and walk down the city aisle bus and there any tall man with dark hair, you'd lift your hands, Daddy, Daddy, and try to let someone pick you up who looked like perhaps a father figure in your life. Meanwhile, all the way across the United States here in Georgia was a man that married a beautiful lady and they had two children. And shortly after their children were beginning to just get to middle age or five, six, seven years of age, their mama died of cancer. And so this man is left not grieving. What I didn't know until years later and the Spirit began to show me and had confirmation is that the man who would be my stepfather was abused very much in his early life and he had difficulty with grieving as well. And so now a pastor thought it was a great idea (laughs) to get this man in Georgia who had had two children and lost his wife, with this woman in California that had three children and lost her husband, and let the two of them start a marriage if they so choose. Well, in some ways it's a good idea because they definitely could empathize. But neither one of them are grieving well. And this was a whirlwind romance when the man that would be my stepfather began to court my mother. It was really just letters. There was landlines at the time, but it was very expensive to call. A 30-minute call between Georgia and California in the late 60s could run you $50 or more, and that was a lot of money in the late 60s. And so most of their conversation was on paper, snail mail, as we would say today. Two actual dates they had when Dad flew out to California to first meet her, and then the date he had right before the wedding day. Both of these dates, my grandma was very cheerful to tell me that I was not allowed to meet him, he was not allowed to meet me. They waited till after he said, I do, and then they said, hey, here's your new stepson. I don't know if I was such a heathen or, or I was just all oh, boy or whatever we say, but uh, they thought it best that we would just wait until after my stepfather said, I do, and then he'd meet Little Timbo, and so that was the case. We moved to Georgia, and we began a very dysfunctional upbringing. this, This was the situation in our home. I was never allowed to mention the name of my dad. It was like he didn't exist. In fact, years later when mom was elderly, she said that she dealt with dad's death like this. I just think of him, Tim, she'd say like he's gone off to the grocery store. And, you know, he'll be back, not for a long, long time, but I just he's, he's away. She said, all my life I've loved two men, your father and your stepfather. And it's been a struggle in her mind all, all this time. So never were we allowed to mention his name, James, or Jamie as they called him. The mother of my stepbrother and stepsister never were we allowed to mention her name. It was just acting like it had never happened. Mom, dad, dysfunctional, non-grieving, not working well through their situation, decided the best thing they could do is have two more children. (laughs) So now we've got half-sisters that are brought into the family, seven of us. And it was a crazy place. There were beautiful times in the family, and God helped us and blessed us. But there was also knockdown, down drag-out fights and dysfunctionality and brokenness. Any time a fight, it was your boy said this to my girl, and you're this and that. It was, it was ugly. Locking themselves in the bedroom to fight, and the kids crying outside in the hall, just begging them to quit fighting, not knowing what was happening. God brought both of them such a long ways, but still, it was such dysfunction in our family. I can remember thinking over and over as a young boy, if my dad was still alive, I'd be loved. I'd be special. He'd want to go play football with me. He'd throw the ball out in the yard. We'd go fishing. The things that I like to do that my stepfather didn't have the time or didn't have the interest to do. All the things I thought of that somehow even God had given me a bad deal because I could have been so blessed and so loved and had all of these great things if just somehow my dad had not been taken. I remember the first time that a man told me he loved me. It was Brother Fieselman in the church, and we just had a beautiful communion and foot washing, and with tears in his eyes, he came up to me and wrapped his arms around me, tears flowing down his face. He said with words that I couldn't doubt the sincerity, Tim, I love you, and it messed me up. I couldn't get out of his arms fast enough thinking what in the world is he talking about? Why would a man even say that to me? And over in a corner I'm struggling with what I'm feeling. The first time feeling a respect from a man that actually loves or perhaps believes in me. And why would this man say that? He's just a brother in the church. And what is I feeling? And all the things that I dealt with. Growing up I absolutely exhibited classic daddy issues with the things that I dealt with and things that I tried to overcome, even as a Holy Ghost-filled young man praying in the Spirit, struggling with things in my mind and my spirit and my life that I could not quite seemingly, completely get over. Hebrews 4 and 15 tells me this, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like it as we are yet without sin. Hebrews gives me this hope that it doesn't matter how dysfunctional my upbringing was or how broken or how wounded or how abusive, there was a high priest that felt every feeling of infirmities and no matter what I dealt with in my mind, what I dealt with in my emotions, what I dealt with in my spirit, he felt him. He understands. He walked through this as well. And I know that we have quoted this forever. And we all believe and declare this. But I started taking a new life, a new look rather, at the life of Jesus Christ. And tried to see, is this really true? Does Jesus really understand the feelings of my infirmities as a typical individual dealing with daddy issues. And I began to realize absolutely this is so powerful and plain. I'm going to share with you a look at Christ that is not traditional. But I promise you it will be biblical. And if you will allow me to share this with you and not be afraid and ashamed when I talk about our Lord, I want you to see how He's a high priest, touch with the very feelings of our infirmities and more so how he dealt with daddy issues. The first thing that you find is that he's born out of wedlock. Now, we all know that it was of God, but they didn't believe that when he was born. So the atmosphere and the society around him, absolutely he was looked at as a bastard son. As a woman who had cheated and was easy and loose, even though she was betrothed to a man named Joseph, and she had been sleeping, that's how she was looked at. In fact, the man that would be his stepfather decided he didn't want the child. And he didn't want to marry her. That's absolutely biblical. In fact... He doesn't change his mind until a dream God has him in declares to him, you need to marry this woman Mary. What is in her is of the Holy Ghost. And now we see him marrying her. But that doesn't mean that he was happy about it. In fact, as we look at the entire upbringing of Jesus, I think he was mad about it. Maybe he thought... How come I have to muddy my reputation that I have been building all my life and marry this one that has cheated on me just because God says? So I'm going to be a part of this shame, this judgment. When you began to see this in the life of Jesus, you began to realize He probably dealt with daddy issues. Now Joseph and Mary began to have children. And they have boys and girls. And the Scripture lets us know very clearly that the children never believed in Jesus. All the way up until they are adults, we find the Scripture lets us know, hey, well, the brothers and sisters of Jesus didn't believe in Him. My question is, where do they get this from? Couldn't have been Mary... But perhaps in their own home, Joseph really didn't believe the stories. Maybe he questioned the dream that he had. When he saw Jesus and the way that he was living and raised, somehow he didn't believe in him. Now Jesus in this family is the only one whose father and mother are not there in the home. I I understand what that's like with my two half-sisters. They're the special ones. Because they're born out of a union of the man and the woman that are in that home. And somehow the others, the steps, remind you of hurt and brokenness of the past. Every time that Jesus, the red-headed stepson, right, is seen by, Je- by Joseph, it's a remembrance of what Mary had cheated on him. Just, just look at it with me. There is a beautiful insight And Luke lets us see this. There's no reason for us to have any clues and wonder why Jesus at 12-year-old, what he's doing, except I believe this insight of daddy issues. So get the picture. Jesus is 12. He's not even 13. He's 12. And Joseph must have been a businessman, a carpenter of some sort. I believe he must have had a schedule and a calendar he had to keep. So they were going to go to Jerusalem for the feast. They only had a few days. They had to get there and get back. And when time comes for them to journey back, they head back and they're a full day away before they realize their 12-year-old boy Jesus is not with them. Mamas, how quick do you panic? When we lose them for 15 minutes in Walmart, we're going crazy. If you've ever lost a child at Six Flags or Stone Mountain, But to realize a whole day has passed and your 12-year-old boy is not there. Mama must have been thinking, oh, he has been kidnapped and sold into slavery somewhere. Maybe he's bleeding in a ditch because someone beat him over the head for the 50 cents that he had in his pocket. no telling where. And she's thinking the worst things that she can probably think. I want you to see the stress upon Mary. She is frantic. And now they begin to trace their steps. They're a day's journey away from Jerusalem. It takes them two days because they're stopping everywhere they've been, asking everybody, have you seen? They are showing the cell phone picture. This is what he looks like. Got a bolo out for him. They need to find him. In fact, it's three full days that he's been missing before they finally trace their way back to the church or the temple. And there 12 year old, and we think this is so awesome, and it is, 12-year-old Jesus is teaching and astounding the leaders and all the scribes and the Pharisees. That is incredible. But Mary's not impressed. Because when she speaks to him, she speaks to him with this statement. Didn't you know how worried we were? Like, you haven't been thinking about me at all, son. Which was true. Don't you know how frantic I've been? You could have at least texted me and told me you were alive. No texting, but he could have sent a message somehow, right? She is frantic. And when he responds to her, he doesn't say, oh, oh. My goodness, Mom, I I wasn't thinking about you. Please forgive me. He doesn't even say, Wow, look how time flies when you're having fun. But what he speaks to her, it's a 12-year-old boy, is two rebukes. First of all, he says to her, You have no clue who I am. Even though Gabriel stood before you and told you the prophecy, you still don't know who I am. And then he turned and said, I've got to be about my father's business. Don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? Which is saying this, that man's not my father. And just the fact that you are worried and questioned about me being here at 12 years old lets me know you really don't believe in me. You really don't know who I am. And no, that is not my Joseph must have been trying to teach his stepson a, a good career. And we know Jesus, the son of a carpenter. I, 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 I just get the feeling that Jesus would hate that identification. Here Joseph is trying to teach him you've got to have a career, so sweep the sawdust out of the business, son. We, we need you to shellack that table and the you You've got to do these things. And Jesus is thinking, I will never use this in my life. You know, like our sons did when we homeschooled them. What's this geometry and algebra stuff? I will never use this. And now both of them use it almost every day. Jesus must have been thinking that. Why are you teaching me these disciplines and these habits when I will never use them? The only way that you can teach me this and feel good about it is that you still have no clue who I am. In fact, I want you to look at the life of Jesus. He tells parables and stories about fishing, about shopping, about farm. He never talks about carpentry. He had to know it back and forth, and he won't even mention it. I think he hated. I think he hated carpentry. Even when his ministry begins, we see this. Luke 14 and 26. Jesus says if any man come to me and hate not his father, he cannot be my disciple. Why Why you got to say that so harsh? Jesus, why didn't you just say, well, you know, if you're going to be my disciple, there might be decisions you make that your father's not going to be happy with. No. He says, hey, you're going to be my disciple? You got to be a daddy hater. <laughs> it's almost like when we were kids and we made them tree houses out in the woods and put that big sign on the front of it. No girls allowed My goodness, what were we thinking? It's like Jesus is saying, hey, I've got this club going. A lot of neat things here, but hey, you can only join if you're a daddy hater. Mark 3 and 33 demonstrates this. When his half brothers and sisters that do not believe in him come with his mama Mary to a place where he's ministering, And someone in the place of ministry realizes who that is and comes to Jesus all excited because, hey, he's going to get to see his family. And they say to Jesus, hey, your family's here. And Jesus is like, who is my family? That's not my family. My family is those that love the Lord and keep his commandments. Let me just say this because as long as I'm being non-traditional here, let me be plain. I believe that I was taught wrong concerning this principle. Because I had elders and even pastors in my life say to me, my family comes first. And this is why they said it. Because when I get old and senile, they'll change my diapers, not you. Well, whatever qualification of what that is, I understand that statement. However, Jesus said, when you become a Christian, that becomes your first family. And the earthly family is your second family. And if we don't get this in place, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of heartbreak because when that family doesn't want the choices we make, it's difficult. Okay, let me get off that soapbox. Didn't go over too well, but maybe we'll see how it goes later. Luke 9 and 59, there's a disciple that wants to change his whole life and follow Jesus to the ends of the world. And in what I'm seeing in the scripture, he's saying, hey, my dad is on his last leg. He's got just a little while. Let me go home, take care of him, bury him. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. How in the world does that even happen? You'll be my disciple. you have got to let somebody else bury your father. It seems to be such a dichotomy, a contrast, because the Scripture, even the Ten Commandments, tell us that we are to honor our father and our mother. We see throughout the Scripture that even Jesus upholds that and says you can't just say rock and curse and just somehow get away from honoring your mother and your father. So what is happening here? Any time that I see something in the Scripture that looks like... a out of the character thing that Jesus is doing or a contrast. I don't try to skip over it or run from it. I consume myself in what's happening because often in is revelation. That's what's happening here. First thing that we need to understand to be able to receive this revelation is that Jesus is speaking to people that understand the Hebrew language even though Greek and Aramaic is what they were probably speaking at the time, most of the time, and what it was original writing in, we find Jesus even saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, speaking Hebrew. We even find different disciples declaring to us, oh, this pool of Siloam in the Hebrew is Shiloh, and it means sin. We find over and over that they had a strong understanding of the Hebrew language. My personal opinion is this, and a lot of theologians believe this as well, is that God gave the Hebrew language to His people. Because the language is so perfect. It is mathematically genius. Its structure and the way that it operates and the definition is so powerful for insight and understanding. And so we need to understand that Those that Jesus is speaking to and those that will search it out can find this. When Jesus says, call no man your father upon the earth, the Hebrew word for father is what we would call ab in English, A-W-B. But in the Hebrew, it means more than father. It means primary source. It means your principal source. You came from here. This is where your source is. And the understanding of the Hebrews and of heaven and the kingdom of God is this. If you have a source that you can trace your way back to, everything that that source is, you can be. Let me show you how this is over and over in the Scripture. In John 8, verses 42 through 44. I'm not sure I even gave you them verses this. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded from and came from God. But ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. You're a murderer and a liar. He said, you example who your father is by what your actions are, because your father is your principal source, and if you act like Satan, that's who your father is. And if you are a liar, it's because your father is the father of liars. Throughout the scripture, we find the Jews in particular saying things like this. Well, we have Abraham as our father. Moses is our Father, because in their mindset, if they could trace their lineage back to Abraham, who is a friend of God, blessed of God, covenant of God, got all these blessings, then everything that Abraham is, they're a son of Abraham. In fact, this is why our Bible spends page after page in Second Chronicles, even in the Gospels, talking about crazy stuff like this, Jabo-boo-doo, but god, blah 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 blah. And we're wondering why in the world, reading our bread, are we going to read page after page? I think most of us kind of skim read them pages. Because what is the value? But their understanding is this. If they can trace their lineage back to a powerful individual, that is their principal source. That is their father. And everything their father is, they can be. Let me show you this is true. In James chapter, no let's make it John chapter 5, John chapter 5 verse 18, John 5 and 18, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. That's a mindset we don't have in the West, but it's a kingdom mindset. It's a heaven mindset. It's a Hebrew mindset that if you can trace back your father to God, then everything that God is, you can be. This is why he was the headquarter of the almighty God because everything the father is was headquartered in Jesus Christ. This is what Philippians is telling us. In chapter 2, verse 6, that says Christ being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now we have this terrible nature that we are born into. And four times in the Scripture we'll see this. It's twice in Exodus, once in Numbers, once in Deuteronomy. This is inescapable. God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children into the third and fourth generation. There is no way to escape that. Every one of us are dealing with situations because of the iniquity choices of our dads and our granddads and our great and our great, at least four generations. When modern science tells us today that some people are just created with different tendencies and are different, right! That is truth because the sins of the Father are visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. In fact, we are not islands. And what we do and the iniquities that we embrace are visited upon our children and our grandbabies and our great-grandbabies and our great-great. But we have a beautiful promise after Exodus that declares this, Exodus 20 and 6, that God shows mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So now we begin to see it's not so important. The physical lineage that you have, if you can trace a spiritual lineage back to a spiritual father, now everything that he is, you can be. This is why you must be born again because what you have been born into is corruption and you must be born into a heavenly father and a heavenly family. This is more than just schematics. This is paradigm shift in Revelation. I thank God... That I was born into a oneness apostolic family. And then my second family, oneness apostolic, all our lives. And some of the first words that I spoke was, Timbo, how many gods are there? One God. And I said in Sunday school. And after a few years, I actually taught the first generation Sunday school teachers the real story that they were trying to tell. Straighten them out. Because I'd heard them a thousand times. I've heard preaching, first day in church was a couple of days old. I've heard preaching all of my life. And oneness, apostolic, Pentecostal preaching. Quote, the scriptures knew all the stories. And there's a great heritage that I was raised in. And that's a heritage of one God, the oneness movement. It's a revelation that we have received and we are so thankful and so grateful and we're very protective that we don't lose this revelation. But I need to speak to those, especially those that are not first generation, but perhaps second and third generation. You do not get this revelation of the one God because you hear it a hundred times. Deuteronomy 6, you don't get it just because you can quote it or because you're raised in a family that believes that. In fact, when Simon Peter receives this, Jesus said, flesh and blood cannot reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven reveals it. You have to have a relationship with a heavenly Father and you hunger to know Him and to find out about Him and in that pursuit, there's a revelation given. There's a lot of people that hunger to know church and hunger to know religion and hunger to know organization or hunger to know this that do not have a revelation. In fact, I would say for second, third generation and beyond Pentecostals, it's a shame that we're seeing individuals leaving and going to non-oneness churches. The only reason they can do that is because they didn't receive the revelation for themselves. So I'm thankful, very thankful but I've noticed a tendency in me as well as in all of our leaders I'm being bold there to say all, let me say most is that it's probably been a long time since you've heard Jesus' baptism preached from. Why? Because, well, the Holy Spirit's like a dove and Jesus is in the water and there's a voice from heaven. We, We understand God is everywhere present but we don't want people to be confused because we're protecting the oneness. I've watched us over and over, and I've done the same thing. When the Scripture directly talks about Jesus speaking about the Father, we'll change it to God. Lord, it's the same individual, it's the same entity, right? But we do that because we're trying to protect this oneness Revelation. It's a mystery, and we're trying to protect those that have received this revelation. I grew up praying to God and telling him, I love you, Lord. Savior, nobody like you. Jesus, you're my best friend, all the things. But I tell you what I have never prayed until recently is I love you, Father. Daddy issues. And the first time that I had this revelation and prayed it, it changed me. Truth of the matter is, there's way too many among us. I'm talking about oneness, Pentecostal, Apostolic. Probably in this place, over half are not even sure that you're going to make it to heaven. We struggle with condemnation and doubt because... We don't have a father. We've got daddy issues. When you begin to look at the number one purpose that the father is in relationship to us, his children, you find that he's a giver. In James 1 and 17, the Bible says, every good gift and every perfect, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and coming down from the, what we get gifts from is the Father, and we pray to Jesus, and we pray to the Lord, and we pray to the Savior, it's not just schematics, we know there's one God, and His name is, but it's about the faith you have, in asking a Savior that died for you, that you're not sure you know well, versus a Father that gave you forgiveness. It has to be a paradigm shift. Matthew 7 11 says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more shall your Father? Matthew 26 and 53, Jesus said, I could pray to the Father, and he'd give me 12 legions of angels. We, we want to tell Jesus to send angels here and to do that. And Holy Spirit, would you lose angels? It's the Father that sends angels. We're asking amiss because we don't have that relationship of God as our daddy. And because we don't have that, we're circling around trying to hold on to our revelation. And we're having daddy issues. Luke 12 and 32, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 14 and 6, I'll pray to the Father and He shall give you the comforter. Matthew 6 and 4, you pray in secret, your Father will reward you openly. Matthew 6 and 15, it's the Father that forgives. In fact, I want you to see how it's so grained in our culture. I know you're already thinking, sis, how many songs do we sing about the father? I can think, I, I, A lot of songs that we sing, even today, he's a good father and he's a great friend. It mentions him, but it doesn't sing to him. I can think of maybe three songs. I don't know a lot of songs, but good, good father. Uh, oh, one heavenly father, I appreciate you. But the Bible actually says this. The time is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship in spirit and truth because the Father, seek as such to worship Him. And we worship Jesus, and we worship the Savior, and we worship the Spirit, and we worship everything. And it's the Father that is seeking for relationship and you would worship Him. In fact, In fact, when Jesus began to teach us that the very foundation and basis of your communication with God, when you pray, pray in this way, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's the very basis of what your prayer life should be. And most of us don't even talk about the Father. We don't sing about him. If I stood behind this pulpit and I'd say, let's all pray. Father God, you'd look at me like I lost my mind. It's biblical. It's, It's biblical. We have a tremendous, let me just throw this in. Because Isaiah 9 and 6 tells us, Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. Government should be upon his shoulder. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Yes, Jesus is our Everlasting Father. But when we don't have a paradigm to know that he is our Father, we just call him Jesus and think of friend. And there's some things your friend will do for you, but I'm telling you, your father is a giver. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. For God so loved the world that he gave his holy begotten son. You know who brought salvation to us? The father did that. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. The father sent his son. Romans begins to tell us so powerfully that we are joint heirs with Christ. So we've got so many inheritances that we are not taking advantage of because we don't understand God's our Father. So this is what Scripture that we read, Matthew 23 and 9. Jesus said, call no man father when you understand that He's speaking of primary source, He's now saying this. Don't let any man on this world be your primary source for what you need as a child. Because we all have one Father. He's in heaven. So two things need to happen in this place and I'm quickly coming to a close. We need a we, we need to release our earthly fathers. The old timers used to say this, that within the heart of every individual is a God-shaped hole. It's like the last piece of a puzzle. And the only thing that will fit and complete your life is God. By the same token, God has made every one of us with a father, need, and desire in our life. And no man on earth can fulfill that. Now, we've talked about daddy issues and how I lived that. But my wife, on the other hand, was born the queen of the universe to her dad. Youngest four. She never doubted in her life that she actually did hang the moon. She never felt unloved unrespected, undesirable. But laughter, Lois, feel the Holy Ghost, and even later when her dad passed away, she would have a powerful move in the altar and would come up to me, and for years we didn't understand this. And she'd say, Tim, I don't understand, but I'm feeling in my, like I'm missing my dad. And dad was even trying, to, our father was trying to tell her that even though you had a great daddy, There's still areas in your life that are unfulfilled until you let your father be your primary source of fatherhood in your life. So I'm not preaching today to those of us that probably make up the majority with daddy issues here. Not not us only. I'm preaching to everybody in the place that we need to release our earthly father because He's not got the ability to give what we need. This would bring condemnation upon me as a father trying to love my children, except that, thank God, I've always pointed them. And when I can't measure up to what you need, there's a good, good father. I want you to stand with me. And those in the place that are willing to hear the word of God today and actually release your father. That means no expectation that he's going to finally apologize or finally step up, but probably several are even gone. There's no way for that to happen. And you feel like you've always had this. All of those in the place, and I think it's everyone, I, I want us to release our earthly father and realize they could not be what we needed them to be. And then secondly, there needs to be a paradigm shift. that we start talking differently because this is how we change our paradigm. And we start talking about the Father. Our Father. We are all, most all of us here are very aware of terrible times that we have had to face in the past couple of years with Loved ones that have committed suicide. Even great friends, people of God among us. Leaders. We face this. Can I tell you that for years and years, we've said some of the craziest things because we don't have the answer. We have told people, well, you just need to pray in tongues more. Our pastors are so burdened down with everybody's problems that we're sending it even to counselors and sometimes not even godly counselors. When your father is a wonderful counselor, and we don't have a lot of wonderful counseling except what pastors do and they're overrun because we don't have him as a father. If we took our problems to him like a child that knows their love to their heavenly father, There's counsel like no psychiatrist, psychologist. This is what I've heard with my own ears as we've tried to come to grips with suicides of those that we love, even tongue talkers among us. This is what I've heard from the leaders as they've said, well, just, just look at their whole life. Surely God will look at the whole life instead of the ending of their life. That grieves me because I I, I don't see in the Bible where that's what we're supposed to do. And it gives an out to every young person and every young family that is dealing with depression to think somehow, if I just live for God for a little while, then I can take my life and everything's going to be fine. And we make statements like this because we've got daddy issues. We don't have a heavenly father because we've so protected the oneness and thank God for that, that we've excluded father from our prayers and from our worship and from our preaching, our teaching, and we don't think that way like we've got a father. I've looked at the Lord's prayer and I've done a major jump. And when I said, our Father in heaven, oh, that's good. Hallowed be thy name. Then I jumped to a king that I'm talking to that has a kingdom and a Savior that died for me and a Lord that wouldn't lead me into 10 In reality, all of this is about our Father. It's our Father's kingdom. Oh, Jesus. You think he isn't going to do everything he possibly can to get you there? He's already gave his begotten son for you. Yes, he's going to do everything he can. When I ask him to lead me not in temptation, I, I'm not asking the Lord to do it, I'm, I'm asking my Father. I used to say, well, man, the enemy has really come against me, and I've been to battle. But now I begin to realize that I have a father. A lot of times it's because he loves me so much. He's chastening me because he don't want me to stay in the same mistakes and failures I have. And now the outlook at what I'm going through, my trials and my temptation, is totally different. Daddy issues that we have, Will forever be changed if we'd get this paradigm shift. Would, would you three girls, you also, would, would you three come here? I want you to come too, yeah. There you go. <laughs> you guys are beautiful. Have we met before? This This is messing with you, darling because you so need a father figure to tell you how valuable you are. And I'm not sure you can receive that from a physical father. But your heavenly father's trying to tell you that sensitivity, darling. Powerful. Beautiful. Been confusion that has come to your mind through the years. Even doubting your identity and who you are. Because of some battles that you have received from iniquities of the f- few former generations. But God is trying to reveal to you exactly who you are and how loved, and how much purpose, and how much overcoming power to clear your mind, to give you clarity. Deborah, I see some very difficulties in your upbringing abuse and it's so shaped you until it's difficult for you to believe that God would love you you know what's going to make the difference Deb is that if you know it's your father And he'll forgive anything and everything. And he'll take you from feeling the victim that you feel like you are because of what has happened to you and take you to a place where you have something to give and offer. (laughs) Hey, daughter. The world has tried to tell you who you are, especially in the last two years. But I've seen something strong in you. That you know, doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter what upbringing, no matter what the world, it doesn't matter what race or color, you are a child of the Father. And while others are being confused and finding fault and hurt and pain, you're shining, (laughs) you're growing, you're maturing because... If you need to release your earthly father, no matter how good he was, or maybe how absent or terrible, if you need to release your earthly father, would you just come and stand in this altar? Would you do that?